Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Steve Taboo. Well, good morning. All right, welcome to those watching online, sitting on the beach in Florida and, you know, streaming us this morning. We're glad you're doing that. And welcome to my dad and my sister who are watching online. Uh, this morning, I just, some of you know, but uh, yesterday my, my dad at 82 had a stroke. And so he's in the hospital right now and spent yesterday with him. My sister's with him this morning while I'm, while I'm here and grateful for her and uh, but kind of a, a sweet moment because as I was thinking about it, it's the first time my dad's gone to the hospital that I've been worried about his physical more than his spiritual uh, because my dad's walking with the Lord now and that, uh, yeah. This, uh, this physical body for all of us will pass away. We're all gonna die at some point. You know, they say two things you can be sure of, death and taxes, right? When you're alive, taxes come every year, and we all know that one day this physical body will, will deteriorate, but the soul goes on forever. And so for all of us today, I just wanted to start with the end in mind, because we're going to talk about discipleship. We're going to talk about Paul pouring into this young man named Timothy so that he could pour into others who would pour into others. And starting with the end in mind, the end is that we all get to spend eternity with God and that all of our family, neighbors, coworkers, and friends will understand the hope of Christ and have the expectation that this world is not the end. This world's just the beginning. That the hope we have in Christ is that together, we will get to worship the Lord daily fellowship together daily without sin and without all the garbage of this world. I was talking to somebody this morning in the first service day. They just got back from a trip from Iceland. And I was like, Iceland? What's Iceland like? They're like, oh, it's gorgeous. It's, uh, it's beautiful. They just tell me about it. I was like, man, I just can't wait to get to heaven. I really think that like Iceland will be like one mile to my left and Hawaii like one mile to my right. And you wake up in the morning and go, oh, let's go worship the Lord. And then oh, today, let's go to Iceland. You know, because when we read about it, John was so overwhelmed by the amazing, spectacular view he had that he tried to write it down. He tried to describe it in streets of gold and pearl, uh, pearly white gate. And, and I just believe that he was trying to use the best understanding he could because he was overwhelmed by the glory of God and the glory of the place. So for me, that lights my fire because when we talk about this discipleship that we're gonna talk about today, we're talking about passing on the good news that God loves us, that he sent his son to come and die on the cross to take our sins, the garbage we've done, take that away so that we can be forgiven, 
rescued and spend eternity with him in heaven. And that is good news. And that's what Paul is teaching Timothy to pass on to reliable men who would pass on to reliable men. It's something that if we hold to ourselves, we cheat those around us. But if we share the good news, we can give hope to those around us. What is it that over 2,000 years has allowed Christianity not just to, to survive, but to flourish? To start from one man, Jesus Christ, who was a carpenter without any seminary training or religious training as a rabbi, to go and walk the earth for a mere three years. How, how cool would it be that in three years' time, our impact would last for 2,000 years? Well, what's so significant? Well, what's significant is that he is the son of God and that when he came, he was able to do miracles, raise people from the dead, forgive, show grace, mercy, and to give us an example of how to live in such a way that it infected and affected all those around him and carried on for over 2,000 years. That's quite a feat that no one else can claim. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're gonna jump into 2 Timothy, okay? Lord, I'm so grateful for the hope you give us in Christ Jesus, that this body is not anything more than, as Paul said, a mere tent, temporary, but that, Lord, our hope in heaven is eternal. Lord, I pray today as I share the words that you've shown me through Timothy that it will, be, it will be helpful for all. It will grow all of us in our understanding of your word and in our faith and our journey. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you've got your Bibles, we are going verse by verse through 2 Timothy, okay? So this is the perfect sermon series. Obviously, I hope that you bring them every week, you know, bring your Bible with you every week. But this is the perfect sermon series to bring your Bible every week. Uh, because we're going verse by verse through the book of First uh, Second Timothy. So if you uh, got them, go ahead and pull them out. We're going to start with uh, verse 13. Second Timothy 1, verse 13. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. This pattern, what is this pattern? What? Point number one, if you have your listening guide, you can pull that out. Point number one is stick to God's pattern of sound teaching. What is that pattern that he's talking about? It's a pattern of being able to understand God's word and God's truth for us every day. It's a pattern that's been passed down for 2,000 years, and because of the truth of it, the integrity of the truth, it works today just as it did 2,000 years ago, that God loves us and as a plan for each of our lives. Now, this pattern, as I was thinking about this, uh, a, a pattern is something that you use so that you get perfection every time, right? So I'm not a carpenter. Please hear me say this. I'm not a carpenter, but I do projects from time to time, okay? And one of the projects I, I built, I had to have the same size two by four, like 40 of them in a row. And what you figure out is, is if you just get the same size, the easiest way to do it is take a pattern, a jig, you put it there, you cut it, 
You cut the next one the same exact size, and you keep going, and you'll have all of them the same size. But if I take the first one and cut it perfect and check it, and it's perfect, and then use, use that as a pattern to cut the second one, those two are gonna be great. But then if I take the original one and give it away and use the second one as my pattern, and then do that, and then use the third one, what you'll find is by the time you guys have done this, by the time you get to the end of 40, you're about a 16th of an inch off, and you gotta go back and start cutting again and shorten them all down. Why is that? Because you didn't keep the same pattern. It's important that you keep the same pattern. Well, Paul used that word pattern twice in this verse. So it must have been important that we keep the same pattern. And what did Paul teach? Paul taught from the Word of God, and he taught the truth of the gospel. So as we're looking at, go ahead and pull that little picture up there. You might want to draw this out, okay? The interpretation bridge. Because when, we go in, when we're going to the Bible in 2 Timothy or wherever we're at, we're going to the original audience, okay? First thing you got to do is you got to look at the original audience when it was written. So who is the original audience of 2 Timothy? It's not a trick question. <laughs> Timothy, okay? Paul's writing a letter to Timothy, okay? That's the original audience. So is he writing the letter to Steve Taboo? No. Is he writing the letter to you? No. He's writing to Timothy. That's the original audience, okay? Uh, so you first start by looking at the original audience when written. So was it to the Jews? Was it to the disciples? Was it to the Gentiles? Was it to the, who was it to? And then you want to cross the interpretation bridge to you and I today. You got to figure out how does this letter to Timothy apply to you and I 2,000 years later? That's what we're going to be doing as we go through this book of 2 Timothy. This is the pattern that I would challenge you to use as you do your daily devotions, as you study the Bible for yourself, okay? There's a lot more to this. Like, they teach this at two semesters at seminary, okay? I'm going to cover it in seven minutes. So it's not exactly going to be the same. So go with me here. I'm trying to just keep it simple. Three, three things in the middle to help you get there. A, B, C. A is the audience. So who was Timothy? He was a follower of Christ, right? He was a disciple of Paul. He was actually half Jew, half Gentile. His dad was a Gentile. His mother was a Jew. So we can take that in the audience. That's who it's being written to. The B, what's the Bible's overall teaching? So if you're looking at the teaching of discipleship or the teaching of grace, you can't just look at one verse and establish a whole biblical doctrine off one verse. You can't pick and choose because you'll get in danger, right? Uh, an example I pulled up was there's a passage where Jesus says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you will die. You know, I mean, it'd be a great thing. I actually saw that. What was that? Is there like a restaurant that said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you'll die. Dot, 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 Jesus. Well, he did say that. But if you read the context of the whole passage in the line of the whole Bible, he says, a fool says in his heart, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you shall die. And he goes on to tell the warnings that would come if you're just living for the temporary. But you could pull one verse out and have it say almost anything you want it to say. That's why you have to take it in, in the context of the whole word of God from Genesis to maps, okay? 
start to finish in your Bible from Genesis to end, take it in context of the whole Bible. And then uh, C is context. You have to take it in context of the historical context it was written, the situation it was written, and how does that affect what is being said? So if Paul is writing this, the context is he's in prison, okay? So it's important to know this is like his last will and testament. The context is the Jews are still under oppression of the Roman Empire. It is still a, a nation that uh, in Rome, one of their biggest concerns was the revolt of slaves because there were more slaves living in Rome than free men. There's so much in the context, the, his, the historical context, what was going on. And this is why I want to encourage everybody, if you don't have one, to buy you a study Bible. If you buy a study Bible, the pages before the book will explain the context of the history of the story. It'll tell what's going on in the life of the, the person who's receiving it. It'll tell who the, the book is being written to. It will help you give background, perhaps to church history or to Jewish history, hundreds of years before that, that, that play into the story. And then as you read the passage below that, there'll be notes underneath that will again continue to give you context to what was written. So a good example, we use this phrase all the time, go the extra mile, right? Have you used that? Go the extra mile? Well, that comes out of the Bible where Jesus says, if anyone asks you to go one mile, go with them two. Well, just if, if that's all you have, you don't really understand what exactly he's saying. If he says go one mile, then go two, what, what is he saying? Well, if you look at the historical context, the Roman Empire had set up a rule that a Roman centurion could grab anybody that was not a Roman citizen and say, carry my, my armor for me one mile. And you had to take their armor. Didn't matter if you're in the middle of a business deal, if you were trying to take care of your children, you had to stop whatever you were doing. And because they owned you, you had to carry their armor one mile. So what do you think most people did at the end of that one mile? Yeah, boom, there it is. I did my requirement, see you later. Take off the other way. They had fulfilled the requirement. But what did Jesus say? He said, if they tell you to go one, go two. Now, you wanna talk about an important context. He's not just saying, hey, do a little bit more than everybody else at work this week and try a little harder. He's saying under the power and authority of an oppressive regime that forces you to do something that you despise, that is inconvenient, and that makes you boil inside. I want you to show so much grace and love to those people too that it's gonna awaken them where they're at. I mean, can you imagine if you, if you get to that one mile, they're all expecting you to throw the armor down and you just keep going? And they're like, what are you doing? I'm carrying your armor. Yeah, well, your time's up. It's okay, I'll carry it a little farther. Why? Well, why not? Seems like you have a hard job. I'll just carry your armor a little farther. Can you imagine the conversation that would open up? The different perspective. Now, you're no longer oppressed. Now, you're the one actually in charge. You're actually able to enjoy the journey 
with expectation about what God's gonna do in that moment because you're doing this not for that Roman centurion, not because you have to. You're doing it to glorify God. That's pretty awesome. But again, that's why we need the context of the passage. So whenever someone's preaching, whether you're here, if you move away, if you have another church that you go to when you're home, the role of the pastor is to go to that original script, dig in, look at the context, look at the audience, look at the counsel of the whole Word of God, and bring you truth out of that that will apply to today. Now, you can do this on your own, and that's what we should all do on our own, but it is very helpful to have the study tools with you, the study Bible, uh, to dig in and find those uh, contexts, okay? But there's one part that's not up there, and the part that's not up there is the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus said in John 14 that he will send an advocate, and the advocate will teach us in all things. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and insight on the Word of God. He teaches us what a passage means, and sometimes he will answer prayers that you have been praying through the Word of God with a passage that means something totally different than what you're praying for. So the passage where it says, uh, the fool says in his heart, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. Maybe you're praying about a job, and Jesus in that story is talking all about building your rewards in heaven and not on earth. And maybe as you're looking at two different jobs, you're praying for these two different jobs, and one will allow you to build your rewards in heaven, the other will allow you to build your rewards on earth. And as you're reading that passage, the Holy Spirit just leaps out inside of you and says, this is your answer. This is the job you need to take. The Holy Spirit, our teacher. Now, again, that's got to be under the authority of the what we just said, the understanding of the whole word of God from Genesis to Revelation. I was in a, I was in a Greek class one time, and my buddy Hoover, he, he loved Greek. I made it through Greek, but Hoover loved Greek. That was like his, his jam, you know. We'd go and we'd study, and like I'd be done. I think I'm close enough. He's like, oh, I don't know. I need to dig some more. And he, he'd go for hours, and I'd go play basketball. Sorry, just it's the way it was. And, and Hoover showed up in class one day, and it was like, uh, I don't know. I think it was Philippians that we were translating. And uh, the, the professor said, okay, does anybody today have a translation they'd like to bring from Greek uh, of their English translation on this passage? And Hoover's like, oh, Dr. Harrop, pick me, pick me, pick me. And he's like, okay, Mr. Lee, you look excited. He said, uh, why don't you share with us what you found? He said, you won't believe this, doctor. He said, I dug in and I looked at this and I looked at that and I looked at this and I looked at that and I came up with a meaning that I couldn't find in any other Bible, any other translation. It's gonna change everything. Dr. Harrop just smiled a little bit and said, class, let me just say a word. If you think that after a half a semester of Greek that you're gonna be able to translate the scriptures and know more than men that have spent their entire lives studying the word of God in Greek, you can always assume you're wrong. <laughs> Poor Hoover just kind of deflated in his seat there. And, and yet it, it taught me something. Look, when, when they bring the Old Testament and the New Testament from the Hebrew and then from the Greek into English, these guys have studied for hundreds of hours over a verse. They have poured into all this. Now, is there a level of trust as they 
as they bring, the, bring it from that language into English, there is. And that's why we can still use study helps and everything. But I've learned to trust that these guys have spent their lives to help us best understand the Word of God, and I believe that's their genuine heart. And so, therefore, I'm going to take whatever I'm reading, I'm going to take it in from the English translation, looking at multiple English translations, use my study helps, and then take it all within the context of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And if I come up with anything that contradicts that, I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. And so that's just a helpful tool as you, as you try to study the word for yourself, as you dig in the word for yourself, okay? So stick to the pattern of sound teaching. Second, guard the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says in verse 14. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Now, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do this. You don't have to do this in your own power. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, when you pray and you trust Christ with your life, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And then the Holy Spirit empowers you, gives you insight, gives you directions. The Holy Spirit will whisper things into your, your mind when you're praying and asking God for direction. It can be simple stuff. Like, hey, why don't you pick up the phone and call your buddy? They're going through a rough time. And you pick up the phone and you call your buddy that you hadn't talked to in several months and they say, why are you calling right now? And you say, well, I was praying for you, and I just felt this nudge to call. And they're like, wow, I just got word that, you know, I have cancer. Your timing is crazy. And you go, yep, that's what God does. Because the Holy Spirit knows what's going on everywhere, right? And sometimes the Holy Spirit will nudge you as you're reading the word, and it'll leap off the paper. How many of you had that happen, right? You're reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, Something just leaves off the paper, and you're like, oh, wow, that's for me. That nugget's for me. That truth, that scripture is for me. I've been asking the Lord for wisdom on this relationship, and I just read this passage, and it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and light with darkness? I've been asking God for wisdom. I haven't seen that verse before, and I just so happened to read that verse today. That's the Holy Spirit answering your prayer, okay? So the Holy Spirit does this. But when the Holy Spirit comes inside, he also gives you power, power to stand up against evil, power to stand up for truth, power to stand up when everybody else remains silent. He gives you power to speak truth in hard circumstances in a loving, compassionate way. And in this part right here, he says, the Holy Spirit will give us power to guard the truth that's been entrusted to us. And I, I will tell you, I believe the Word of God is truth, and we're called to guard it. That when we know what is truth, we can't remain silent. I think that's a big part of what's going on in our nation is for so long, people have just remained silent. When we saw something that was completely contradictory to the Word of God and in our family, in our own lives, we just remained silent. We didn't deal with it, and we didn't let the Word convict us and, and change our hearts. And in doing so, as we remain silent, it affects those around us. It's a trickle effect. As a father, if I'm ignoring the Word of God in my life in certain areas, it trickles down to those around me. 
as a leader, as a follower of Christ, as a coworker, when you ignore teachings in the Bible, it'll trickle down to those around you. We've got to guard the truth that's in the word. Third, stick with and stand by godly leaders. Stick with and stand by godly leaders. Here's what it says, verse 15 to 18. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show special kindness to Onisarani and all his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in change. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. Now, this is a very encouraging passage to me in a very warped way. Here's what I mean. Paul, who loved Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, who actually had had a vision and Jesus appeared to him, who had been taken up into heaven and given that vision, and who had planted churches everywhere and was friends with the very disciples of Jesus. If anybody was the best discipler in the world, it must have been Paul. And here he is sharing the names of two out of apparently several people that he had poured into, that he had discipled, that had walked away from him in his time of need. I get people ask me all the time, well, Pastor, how come so-and-so left the church, and how come so-and-so left the faith, and how come so-and-so isn't around anymore? How come? It's heartbreaking. You want to know what breaks a pastor's heart? It's when people just ghost you. They disappear after you've poured your life into them and poured Jesus in. And it happens all the time to me and it happens all the time to you. And for a long time, I would beat myself up like, man, I must not be a very good youth pastor because I, I love that kid well. I prayed for him and he, he left. Maybe I didn't call him enough. Maybe I didn't show him enough attention. Maybe I didn't give him enough Bible verses to memorize. And oftentimes I hear the same thing. Well, you know, the problem with the church is there's no discipleship. There's no evangelism. There's no dot, 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 dot. Well, I think with the Holy Spirit, we have all we need. But at the end of the day, you and I have to choose not to give up. Every day we have a choice whether we want to quit the faith or persevere. And some days I want to quit the faith because it's hard, right? I mean, I know you're with me on this. Some days it's like, man, it would just be easier to go with the flow, to not be that one family member at Christmas that actually wants to, to go to church before we get together as a family, to be that one person on the, the softball team that chooses to, to worship and, and love the Lord Almighty, which I don't know if you caught that video of the Oklahoma Sooner softball players. If you hadn't seen that, pull that up on social media. Uh, they just won the national championship, and before they did, they were interviewed, and there were three of them that were interviewed, and every one of them said, this game is important, but it's nothing compared to what's really important. That's my faith in Jesus Christ. It was a powerful, 
powerful thing if you hadn't seen it, pull it up on social media. They got it, and they got it right, and they understood what was important. I want to ask you guys, would you stick with and stand by godly leaders? We don't always get it right, but as long as we're going back to the Word and allowing the Word to change us, would you stick with and stand by? I know too many pastor friends of mine. I'm, I'm so grateful, man, you've done that here at the river. I am so grateful, but I have too many pastoral friends that were pursuing God and pouring into others only to be stabbed in the back by people within the church. Folks, we got to act like Christians 24-7, not just when we're in the church, but when we're out of the church. We got to stand by each other and lock arm in arm. I remember reading a story of a Romanian pastor during the communist regime that had been jailed and persecuted, and uh, his time was up. He served a sentence. He went back, and they, of course, told him, you can't preach. And so what did he do? He went back to preaching, and he was preaching and teaching in an underground church, and, and they found out, and they found out he was having a service at this, at this building, and, and they sent two, two men to come get him, and the church that was there said, no, you're not taking our pastor this time. And they're like, what do you mean? They're like, no, we're, you can't take him. We are, we are blocking the door. And they blocked the door. And the two soldiers didn't know what to do, so they left. And they went back, and so then the, they brought the little group of soldiers, like a whole group of soldiers to come and get the pastor. And at that time, they all went outside, and they all locked, locked hands around the church, said, you've got to kill us first if you're going to take him. And what was powerful was, you know, some of these people that are holding hands were the parents of these young men and the, carrying these guns. They were friends they'd grown up with. They were family members. They weren't just one guy. And finally, they just said, you know what? We're leaving. And nobody would fire the first shot. And the pastor was rescued from more torture and more, more time in prison. Sometimes it, it, it takes all of us. Paul was in a place where he's in prison. He's poured his life out for these people. He's discipled those two guys, and they've left him in his time of need, and he's discouraged. It'd be hard not to be. Thankfully, he had Oni there who had stuck by him, and he had one disciple that had not forgotten the mission. I want to challenge you. I, I love you guys. I don't know everybody's name, but if you join the church, I try to learn everybody's name. That's why I teach River 101. Give me six weeks. I try to learn names. I want to learn names. But you know what breaks my heart as a, as a pastor and all of our pastors on staff is when we love people, we pour into people, and then you disappear and ghost us. And it happens like more times than I want to admit. And then I see you at Walmart and you won't even look me in the eye, and I try to say hi, and you like dodge down the cookie aisle, you know? And I, and I try to catch your eyesight, and you start tying your shoes and pretend like I don't exist. And then my kids will tell me it gets awkward for them, right? Listen, we are the family of God. There's nobody perfect in here. I'm not perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect. But if you feel like God's leading you to another church, just come tell me. Just say, hey, pastor, I love you, but God's leading me over here. 
to First Baptist. God's leading me over here to Stephen Street. God's leading me over here. He's called me to do something different. Great, I will celebrate that with you. But when I see you in the grocery store, I want to give you a hug and say it's good to see you. I want to love you well and be loved well. Let's stand by each other. Let's stand for each other. Let's stand together because times are probably about to get harder than easier moving forward. And we're going to need each other more than ever. So let's stand together. Fourth, be strong in grace. Be strong in grace. It says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Jesus Christ. Why is grace so important? Those watching online, why is grace important? Those that are here, why is grace important? Because grace is what allows us to love even when we hurt. Grace is what allows Paul to love those two guys that deserted him even when they deserted him. I don't think it's a coincidence. Remember we talked about context? Paul is saying to do this in grace right after he said, these guys have left me. It didn't mean he stopped loving those two men, but because of the grace God has shown Paul, he could show them grace as well. And I would just say to you, that is how you love the people that are hard to love, is you realize that God has loved you when you were hard to love. Let me say that again. That is how you love the people that are hard to love because you realize how much God has loved you when you were hard to love. Because there's been time in every person's life in this room that you were hard for the Father to love because you were in rebellion, you were doing what you wanted to do, how you wanted to do it, and you were ignoring the teachings of the Word of God even though you were His child, right? And when you realize that that is the battle every person faces, then when somebody's a total jerk to you and they stab you in the back, you can still choose to love them because you know that God has loved you. That's why Paul's telling them, remember that grace, guys. When you're pouring into other people, and man, they're on fire, right? You know, you, you and I know what to talk about. You've had those guys you poured into and, you, man, you see them growing, and you're so excited, and then all of a sudden, poof, they're gone. And you text them and say, hey, brother, how's it going? I missed you Sunday. Nothing. And you text them, hey, I'm praying for you. How's that thing going with your family? Nothing. And you call them, and it goes to voicemail, and you leave a voicemail. Nothing. And you're like, what did I do wrong? Remember the grace of God. God's grace is such that he loves you and he loved you when you ghosted him. When you went for days or weeks without praying to him, he still loved you. And that's what gives you the ability to still love others when they're hurting you. That's what it is to be a disciple maker. You don't stop loving the disciple when it gets hard. You don't stop, stop loving the disciple when they turn their back on you. I love the example Jesus gave with the apostle Peter who denied him three times in his moment of need, three times when he was hurting the most. And then when Christ rises from the grave, he goes to Peter and three times he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? 
Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied in the grace of Christ, the Lord restored him in that moment, I believe. And Peter felt that grace. I got to wonder how long it took for the light bulb to go off in Peter's mind. You know, was it like in that moment or was it like two days later? He's like, wait a minute. He asked me three times. Whoa, Jesus, that was awesome. You know, I just wonder. Anyway, anyway, all right. So grace, grace, grace. And last, make disciples that make disciples. That make disciples. That's how the gospel has carried on for 2,000 years. Men and women pouring into men and women who pour into men and women who pour into men and women, okay? Uh, Verse two says, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these things to others, trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. It's real simple. It's like that old game you used to play, phone, remember playing phone? You'd whisper into one person's ear one thing, and they'd whisper to the next person, they'd whisper to the next person, and see what it was that the other, when it came back around to you, see if it was any close, you may have, am I day? Okay, okay, I got a couple of nods, okay. It's the same kind of thing. We whisper into people's ear what Jesus has taught us, and then they can whisper it into somebody else, and they can whisper it into somebody else. Basically, wherever you're at in your journey, you can pass on what you do know to somebody else who knows less than what you do know. Okay? It could be something as simple as if you took a picture of that bridge going into work this week and saying to another Christian, hey, can I show you something I learned today that I didn't know before? And just pouring that out. That's discipling right there. You're teaching them something that they didn't know before about the Lord. It could be going to your children today and teaching them because discipleship starts at home. Can I say that clearly? Discipleship starts at home. And moms and dads, if you don't know where to start, just go buy yourself a children's Bible and start reading a story a day, a story every other day, whatever it is, and then saying, huh, what do you think about that story? Discipleship. It's simple. It's interacting with the Word of God together. You can do that as spouses. You can do that with your friends. You can get a couple of friends and meet together once a week and build a discipleship team where you like, reading the same passage together, digging in, and then sharing what you've learned. But we need to pass on what we've learned to somebody else and encourage them to pass that message on to somebody else. That's what Paul's trying to tell Timothy here. Make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. There's no guarantees. I remember one time I was 40, and this is when I was in California, I took three guys through a one-on-one discipleship process for six months. At the end of six months, they said, well, I'm not ready to take somebody else. Can I have six more months? And I took all three of them through another six months. Got to the end of the year, I was like, okay, now you do this for somebody else. Only one of them carried it forward. I was so disappointed. I put a year into those guys, and only one wanted to carry it forward. But you know what? That one carried it forward. And that's the way we got to look at it. We got to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. And whether it turns out the way we hope it would, planned it would, that's up to God, right? He's the one that that brings the fruit. We just water and we just plant. 
but we're called to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. So your action step, you got your piece of paper there, your action step. The person I want to disciple is blank. Who would you want to disciple? Who is around you that's either not yet a follower of Christ that you can teach or that is that you could empower? Who might that be? I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Uh, here on Sunday mornings, we give an invitation, and that invitation that we give is, is for you to have a time to interact with the Lord, whatever he may be saying to you. For some, the Lord may be speaking to you this morning saying, you know what? You need to just pass on what you got to your kids, and that may be the decision you have today. For others, it may be you need to start a, start a Bible study or a discipleship with one person on your sports team or at school or at your workplace. For others, the Lord may be saying to you, your soul is not right. You need to get your soul right with me. And the Lord may be calling you to do that. And still others, maybe, maybe you ditched somebody at some time in your life spiritually. Maybe you left somebody high and dry years ago, a youth pastor, a friend, a mentor, and you've never made that right. I want to challenge you to get that right with Jesus today. On my left over here, there's a place you can kneel and you can come pray. If you come pray over here, it's just between you and Jesus. That's it. Nobody's going to come pray with you. It's just you to talk to him about whatever it is he's got, he's talking to you about. On my right over here, if you come kneel and pray over here, one of our pastors, our deacons, someone will, will pray with you and intercede with you and just say, hey, how can I pray for you? And you share that with them. I'll be down front and we want to help you. If you've never experienced Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never been born again and had the hope of all eternity that I talked about, please don't just stand there. Please come forward. Let us pray with you. Please let us help you connect with Christ Jesus. And if you're here today and you just need some time to unpack it, we've got a, a couple back at the prayer room and they'd love to pray with you. Just listen however long it takes. Ethan's going to play and as he does, you can sing, you can pray, but take this time as a moment to just ask the Lord what he wants you to do and then obey whatever it is. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. If you would like more information about the church and what God is doing here through the river, you can visit therivercc.com or you can download our app in the app or Google Play Store. Again, we just want to say thank you for listening, and we hope as you go throughout your week that you are able to love God, love people, and impact the world.